Welcome to Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. If you've been listening for a while, welcome back. If you're new to the show, I'm your host, Fiona. My passion for sport really started when I was a competitive swimmer. This led me to study sport development at university whilst also working within the sporting industry. I'm a huge believer in sport being used as a tool for good. Each week, I'll bring you an episode with someone involved in the sporting world. It could be your local high school teacher or your childhood or current sporting hero. The difference is that it's not your typical type of questions. We talk about the highs and lows in their journey through sport, but also what they've learned from it and how it's made them who they are today. There's also a strong focus on how being involved in sport can impact the community. If you haven't already, make sure you hit follow wherever you're listening so you don't miss the drop of each new episode. If you're after some bonus content, then you can check out our Instagram or Facebook page at Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. We're going to try something that is a little bit different for this podcast. If you can't already tell from the over 70 episodes so far, I love sport and the power it has to positively impact individuals and the greater community. However, I think it's also important to acknowledge that not everything is sunshine and roses, bringing us to today's episode. I've teamed up with one of the most popular guests, Todd Bushkull. Todd is my fiancé, a medical student, and he has lived experience about today's topic, concussions in sport. You can find out more about his journey in sport way back in season one, and you can find his YouTube channel via the link in the show notes. I don't want to spend too long introducing this subject as the episode is long enough other than saying that this topic is something we should all be aware of and take seriously as athletes, as family members, as coaches and as fans. A knock to the head isn't something to be brushed off. The purpose of this episode isn't to provide medical advice but it's to help get the conversation started and point you in the direction of some resources that could be helpful. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have liked this episode or found it interesting, reach out on Instagram or via email. I'd also love that if there's someone in your life who would benefit from listening to this episode or any episode, please share it with them. Last thing from me before we get into it, there's discussion about mental health, depression and suicide in this episode. If you're in Australia, you can reach out to organisations such as Lifeline or Beyond Blue for assistance. What we're going to do today is talk about concussions in sports and why it's a big issue that you know is getting a lot more attention, particularly in the media and the research realm, but um, and the literature. But we essentially have still have so much to know about it. Um, I've gone through my own dealings with concussion and uh, mild traumatic brain injury through bike crashes in road cycling in uh, you know some years back now. But uh, yeah, we want to you know bring some attention to the matter. Um, talk a little bit about the science and why it's uh, definitely something that anyone playing sports but also in general everyday life really needs to know about. Yeah so we'll start off with some stats. I think you know where we're from down in Melbourne one of the biggest sports is AFL so Mm. got some stats from there and in September 2021 it was revealed that concussion was the top cause of hospitalizations within community AFL so we're not even just talking elite or professional community footy since 2013 
so the top which is huge you think about things like broken fingers and other little injuries or big injuries you can have playing footy which is a contact sport concussion was the top with more than two in three of all concussions in the sport being sustained by young footballers between the ages of 10 and 19 years old. So two in three of those concussions were in the youth. Mm. And I think that's one thing that is very important to draw attention to as well, because obviously any form of concussion can be pathological and cause both acute and long-term implications for the person that suffers it. But remember as well, I think that... uh, Teens particularly, you know, this is an age group that are so, you know, they really are in their formative years Mm. and their brain is so um, malleable and influenced by many, many factors. They're going through puberty even during that time. Um, And there's so many changes occurring in the brain that are so important for basically the rest of their lives. Um, And so you add a brain injury on top of that and, you know, you really do complicate, I guess, the development of that person or potentially could, you know. Mm impacts the development of that person substantially, even if it's in what we call mild. Yeah. And you say brain injury. And in my head, before this research, I was like, oh, concussion isn't a brain injury. It's Mm. just a little knock to the head. You might be knocked out, which isn't actually true. So I've got the definition from Brain Injury Australia, and they define concussion as a traumatic brain injury induced by biomechanical forces, such as a direct blow to the head, face, neck, or elsewhere on the body with an impulsive force transmitted to the head. So that's, you know, really interesting is it's not even a knock to the head that you need to have to mm-hmm. gain a concussion. Yeah, that's probably the most predominant cause of many concussions. But yeah, you, any kind of force which essentially rattles the brain within the skull yeah. is um, enough to definitely cause a concussion. And sure. the reason why I've got you here with me is mm. because you're a med student, so second year medicine, but also you've had a concussion yourself. So you've got a little bit of clinical understanding of the literature in terms of you can understand the words better than someone like me can, but also you've got the lived experience. So can you like talk us through what it is and what's like a traumatic brain injury in general, like concussions, just a form of it and the different severities and everything like that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I think just to preface that as well, and you mentioned that I'd suffered a concussion. I think I've probably suffered a few concussions throughout. I used to do a lot of road cycling, racing on the road and any kind of bike. Like I've had a lot of crashes Well, a few crashes, like a few significant ones. Maybe one of them was my fault. But, uh, you know, after those crashes, I've literally like broken helmets into two pieces and didn't necessarily lose consciousness. But that's, of course, going to be like a pretty decent concussion. Nonetheless, Mm. just at the time, we'd never really considered it to be all that bad. And then, of course, my my uh, more, I guess you'd say severe concussion where I probably lost conscious, complete consciousness for five to maybe five to ten minutes in the realm um, of that time frame uh, was, of course, where a lot of, you know, my lived experience with mild traumatic brain injury comes from, yeah. right? But I think going back to the uh, criteria and definition of what a concussion is and traumatic brain injury and the different types, um, I think it's important to recognize that any form of, like what you said, tra- traumatic brain injury sounds, as the name suggests, quite severe. Mm-hmm. But there are different forms. So we have a mild, moderate, and severe form of traumatic brain injury. Um, 
most concussions will fall, fall under the realm of a mild traumatic brain injury. Uh, we use, essentially to measure the severity of traumatic brain injury, we use a few different criteria. One's the Glasgow Coma Scale. This essentially measures three main, I guess, focal points of responsiveness, and that's the eye or the ocular movements, um, the verbal or oral response um, to stimuli, and then the motor or what's called the motoric response, right? Um, with the Glasgow Coma Scale, we might even link this in the notes for anyone who wants to have a look for themselves. Essentially, the higher the score you get for each of the three different uh, criteria, the less severe your concussion is, or your traumatic brain injury, I should say, is uh, suspected to be. Mm -hmm. So essentially, the, the as the score increases, you have more improved responses, whether that's being able to open your eyes without being prompted, um, whether that's being able to have a conversation or being able to move your body as like prompted by someone saying, you know, do this or do that. Um, the lower scores are like, for example, you can't open your eyes. You can't make any sounds even when, um, you know, prompted. Um, and you literally will not make movements. And that's like the, that would be a one for each criteria. So then when you add them up, essentially the, the higher scores, like technically it would be 13 to 15 is a mild and then nine to 12 is moderate. And then between three, three is the lowest score you can get. Three yeah. and eight would be classified as severe. Um, and there is, there is some, you know, I guess room for like, it's not always as um, straight cut. Like you might have a Glasgow coma scale of a particular number, but then have lost consciousness for more than a particular time. So it's, there's a bit of nuance to it. But essentially, we measure the Glasgow Coma Scale. We also look at what's called post-traumatic amnesia. And this is how long can you, or how long is your like loss of memory, mm -hmm. right? Either from the whole day or like the, the, the actual event itself or in and around the event. Um, so less than a day in the, this is after like long-term, if you can't remember, um, if, you, if you can't remember just like less than, one in day, that 24 hours, then yeah. uh, that's considered mild. Mm -hmm. uh, one day to seven days is considered moderate, and then more than seven days is severe. And then we have loss of consciousness in and of itself. Zero to 30 minutes being mild, 30 minutes to one day or 24 hours being moderate, and then more than 24 hours being severe. Um, and remember as well, zero with mild traumatic brain injury, zero is still... Uh, a legitimate number. Right? Yeah, so, so you don't actually have to be knocked out to have a traumatic brain injury. 100%. So to have a mild traumatic brain injury, you don't necessarily need to lose consciousness. And this is where it's quite nuanced and where people, I guess, can have a somewhat of a misconception about what is classified as a traumatic brain injury and what's not, um, or even what's classified as a concussion. Mm. We know that concussion, of course, is a mild traumatic brain injury, but we don't need to lose consciousness. Um, definitely can, but it's not a prerequisite. So any form of head knock which causes the symptoms of concussion, so the delayed response, confusion, and all those kinds of things, uh, definitely is a mild traumatic brain injury. So bring it back to the sporting realm. The footy players or the cyclists or, I don't know, ice hockey, mm -hmm. I'm just naming a few, could happen in any sport really. They've had a bit of a knock to the head, I don't know if it was a tackle or they fell over. 
they don't actually have to lose consciousness. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And this is where, again, we have this misconception that, you know, you haven't suffered a concussion. And, and again, it, it's changing. We're, yeah. we're, we're like, you know, there's a lot more uh, research coming out, a lot more understanding in the community in general. And even in the local sporting clubs, it's kind of trickling down. The importance of this is becoming increasingly recognized. Yeah. But yeah, remember, you don't necessarily need to be knocked out to have a concussion, which of course is very important to realize. Yeah. What are the stages of it? Like what actually happens? Because, you know, you just have a knock to the head and then mm. all these bad things start happening and you start having a weird memory and you can't really walk or like tell us like biologically mm. or in terms of physiology, what happens there? Yeah. So obviously just to preface this or to as a disclaimer, I'm not an expert in this field. You know, there's some very clever, re like very smart researchers who know a whole bunch more than anyone else about this stuff. But essentially from my understanding of concussion is that you have the acute stages of concussion and the kind of chronic or long-term implications, right? But when we look at the acute stages, and this is really any traumatic brain injury, but I guess we're focusing on mild or concussion here. Yeah, sports. So there is the direct physical force to the actual brain itself whether that's, as you mentioned before, a direct blow, or whether that's just the actual brain moving within the skull itself. That force is, could be enough to cause what might be known as a hematoma or a hemorrhage of the cerebral or the, the blood vessels in the brain. And it can also cause some injury to the actual neurons in the brain as well and the, the white or the gray matter in the brain as well. So there's a physical force and the potential for damage during the actual impact or mm -hmm. the actual movement. Uh, or the trauma. And then there's also what's called or what's known or referred to as secondary injury. And this is where, I guess, particularly in mild traumatic brain injury, where there's not necessarily so much of a force to cause like a brain bleed or a death of brain tissue directly or swelling. But with um, the secondary injury, essentially it's the, the body's physiological response to the trauma. Okay, so this is where, you know, for example, if you break your leg or if you tear a muscle, you have the direct kind of, or the inflammation that results from that. And that can be, that can actually encourage and promote the stages of healing, or it can actually be pathological in and of itself and actually impair some of the healing processes. But generally inflammation in the body serves its purpose. Inflammation in the brain, of course, and again, I'll plead ignorance, I'm not an expert in the field, but um, of course, we'd assume that would be serving a purpose, mm -hmm. whether that's protecting some of the tissues or whatnot. But this is where the actual um, physiological response can be quite pathological quite fast. And by that, I mean, we go from a normal physiological response to one which induces damage. Um, this is anything from, basically we have our neurons in the brain, um, and then we have neurotransmitters. One thing that gets released at high quantities is glutamate. That's an excitatory neurotransmitter, um, but essentially it excites neurons to such an extent or to such a toxic extent that they can die. Um, there's also an influx of calcium and sodium, which can be quite um, damaging or detrimental. There's a, a bunch of free radical damage and inflammation. And as well, the actual blood-brain barrier, which normally serves a purpose of protecting the brain from 
things in the body which it doesn't want mm-hmm. entering the brain, basically, for lack of better explanation. Um, the blood-brain barrier itself can become compromised during a head trauma. Yep. So this is where some of those free radicals or those um, inflammatory markers can cross into the brain, which, of course, is not going to be um, a desired outcome at all. No, so... That's what happens internally within your body. Mm-hmm. How can that present? Like, what what would that mean in terms of old mate has had a head blow? Mm-hmm. How do we how do we tell that those things have happened to him? So, when old mate has a head blow, <laughs> um, I guess it's it's a tough one to link. You know, direct pathology to I guess the presentation of a of a, a brain injury, but generally with concussion, we see that many of these processes lead to delayed, um, you know, verbal response time, um, delayed eye movements even, but then but then there's less, there's more subtle ones, sorry, mm-hmm. which are like general confusion, um, impaired neurological processing. So the pro- one's processing speed might be- um, A bit slower? Somewhat, yeah, diminished or uh, yeah, a little bit slower. They might find it difficult to, I guess, draw on past memories or find like verbal fluency. They might find it difficult to find the right words in certain instances where they never had that problem before. Yeah. So, and remember as well, like everyone differs in their presentation of it. Well, everyone differs in, in the general function of their brains overall. So it's it's always going to be relative to that person. Yeah. You know what? You might be suffering some of these things, and on paper. Or like to, to the everyday person might seem quite all right, mm-hmm. but in your own mind you realise that you are having problems with whether it's memory recall, whether it's forming um, new memories and learning and retaining knowledge and informa- information. Um, so it's definitely subtle, but to the maybe to an outsider, but to the person itself can be quite problematic. And of course, that can then lead to a lot of mental health problems because yeah. you're not the you, you're not functioning at the same capacity as what you previously were. Mm-hmm. So I've got the Sport Australia concussion position statement up, mm. uh, which I will link because it's a pretty good resource in terms of like the literature that's out there for sport and concussion. There's not been a lot of research thus far, which is why it's important to talk about it and mm-hmm. educate and share the literature that is there. But they say signs of concussion can be, yes, the loss of consciousness, which we've talked about, uh, potential seizure, confusion, disorientation, memory impairment, which is, you know, forgetting things, uh, balance, disturbance, a lack of motor skills, Mm -hmm. um, days, blank or vacant stare, or like you mentioned before, the behavior change, they're just not themselves. Yep. So you look at those things and you're like, okay, like they are kind of subtle, And then you go, why is it an issue in sport? Well, you know, we've kind of grown up in a day and age or even like the idea is, oh, yeah, she'll be right and get out there and play. But that's not what we want to be doing because the athlete themselves will be like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine to go on. Mm. But how are we going to notice these things if they're out there and no one's monitoring them? Mm. Yeah, 100%. And and you mentioned like the the scat five which do you remember what that stood for um sports concussion assessment tool or something like that so that's something that's been developed for maybe the sports doctors who Mm. are you know by the field Mm. 
and they can do that test. It takes over 10 minutes if you do it correctly. Like I went, didn't go through it, but I went through the document of what it involved mm. and it said this test cannot be performed in under 10 minutes. Yep. So they pull them off the ground, do that test, see if they've got a concussion or not, which is, which is great. Like I think that's awesome that's starting to happen. Mm. Didn't always happen though, did it? Not at all. And I think that um, obviously we've made a lot of advancements mm-hmm. with with regard to our understanding. And remember as well, with concussion, it's kind of like the way I see it, or the, my view of it, is that it's a it's like a two-step issue. There's the acute concussion and the symptoms revolving around that. And whether you call that acute phase one day up to, for example, weeks mm-hmm. or even a month, right? Or, or, more, or more until that acute is kind of healed. And then there can be the long-term implications as well, which is like the low-grade kind of, whether it's inflammation in the brain, whether it's impaired cognitive function, which which continues for a longer period. But going back to what you're talking about, uh, I think that with sports itself, obviously it's really good that different sporting bodies are really drawing some attention to this mm-hmm. and having policies in which, you know, I guess are there solely to protect athletes. It would be nice that to see a general concussion body or, or a, a general you know group that really could I guess um, formulate or comprise a set standard for for some of these sporting where, whereby all you know sports contact sports in which this is a problem you know could follow the same kind of protocol or procedure do you mean liken it to something like WADA which is the world anti-doping? policy they've got their policy and everywhere has to follow it whereas where there's like a concussion policy where everyone has to follow it sort of like the same premise yeah but obviously that's regarding you know doping and and everyone yeah you're right so there's a governing or there's a general anti-doping agency in which if the sport subscribes then they essentially or they fall under the wider ruling then they have to abide or the athletes have to abide by that yes um but yes it would be nice to see a general i guess well it's difficult but 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 in general, we do see, you know, different sporting codes having different policies regarding concussion and some obviously are lacking behind others in terms of how much of an emphasis they really are putting on it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and just touching on that as well, one of the things which has been a very big problem and still is a problem, but why so much of this exists in the first place is because it's not so much definitely returning to sport after concussion or too soon after concussion whereby your acute symptoms haven't resolved and you haven't like recovered from them is problematic mm-hmm. and can cause more of these chronic or longer term implications. But there's also a, um, a phenomena called second impact syndrome, right? This is where it's basically like a, a one plus one equals three. Yep. So it's like a one plus one equals 10 really like with, with, with regard to how much it compounds on the person if you suffer a concussion and have not fully recovered from that acute concussive syndrome, and then you then have a repeat concussion or a repeat head trauma, in other words, you were put back out on the field too soon, the impacts of that can be multiple fold worse than each of those concussions individually, even combined. They really escalate. And that can co- that's caused death in a lot of athletes, mm. whereby the brain swells, Um, And there's this real over-exaggerated response to that second impact. And that's just like a physical response. Mm. You mentioned before mental health. Mm -hmm. And 
I've done a lot of research in the last 48 hours and it's not hard to find stories out there. There's um, an NFL doco about someone who's had a concussion um, and mental health issues. But I'll read the stats because I don't want to butcher it. But according to neuropsychologist Professor Vicky Anderson from the Murdoch Children's Research Institute, half of concussions within children are sport related. So that goes back to what you said earlier is like you can get a concussion by doing everyday things as well. But like half of them are in the sporting context. Mm -hmm. That's a little bit scary. Uh, Professor Anderson and her team published a peer-reviewed journal article in the British Journal of Sports Medicine exploring the relationship between childhood concussion and mental health, finding that children with concussion experienced more mental health difficulties compared to the controlled group. I then read an article that mentioned that a third of under-18s who have had a concussion develop a mental health condition afterwards that could last years after the incident. Mm. So that's one third of these kids Mm -hmm. developing a mental health issue, which is terrifying. Mm. And in that, like Brain Injury Australia have collated some research um, saying that half the people with traumatic brain injury, so this is not just children, half the people develop depression within a year and nearly two-thirds of people develop depression within seven years of having a concussion or a traumatic brain injury. Mm -hmm. That is terrifying. I think just to put some context behind the Brain Injury Australia one, is that referring to traumatic brain injury overall, regardless of severity? Yeah, so I think obviously when you have more severe traumatic brain injuries, the likelihood of that would be higher. Yes, because the functioning but, yeah. of your normal lifestyle is less. Yeah, completely compromised. But but obviously in mild traumatic brain injury as well, the prevalence is still very high, of course. Mm. Yeah. Relating that back to the sporting context, there's a few stories that uh, stood out to me when researching um, that are, you know, within the last kind of few years. Uh, again, I'm going to bring the AFL mm-hmm. into it I, because they're maybe the most public in terms of the stories, like people would probably know these stories or have seen them or remember them when I say it. Uh, Jacinda Barkley was an AFLW player. She played baseball and I think American football overseas as well. Mm-hmm. So she's like an elite sportswoman. Um, her autopsy found significant white matter changes after she was found dead in 2020, mm. a suspected suicide. So we look at that and you're like, okay, wow. Like you mentioned before about white matter and how it could change. That's the, that's one thing that's like terrifying, but that's not even the only example you look at. And this is, I was talking about this earlier. We look at Danny Frawling, AFL player who sustained 20 concussions, approximately, Mm. maybe more, uh, within his AFL career. He died in 2019 from a car crash. Now, I went through the coroner's report, which is not a great thing to do on a Saturday morning, but mm. I read through the whole thing this morning and it went through how he had been suffering depression for the years prior and his mental health mm. was you know, examined in, in the report. At the time of his death, 
they found multiple drugs in his system, antidepressants. There was no alcohol or like other mm. substances that would suggest like substance abuse in there. So that's one thing. His brain was actually donated to the Australian Sports Brain Bank where they found chronic traumatic and help me say this one encephalopathy. Chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Encephalopathy. So mouthful. And it was actually stated in the report's conclusion, the weight of the available evidence supports a finding that Mr. Frawley intentionally took his own life. So, mm. yes, it was a car crash, mm. but it, that, like, that one too was ruled by a suicide. And in terms of like chronic encephalopathy, can you tell us what that is? Because I looked at that and I was like, I have no idea. Encephalopathy. Encephalopathy. Yeah. Basically, for, for lack of a better term, encephalopathy is where we have um, degeneration of the brain mm. or the brain tissue. One of the really interesting things here, and I guess it's quite unfortunate for many of these, you know, I mean, like this is the worst case situation. CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, can't actually be diagnosed until an autopsy is done. Yep, so after death. So, so it's very difficult to, I guess, understand where someone is in the disease progression mm -hmm. while they're still alive. So really, we can look at some things like um, mental health, brain function, and then really looking back at the history of concussion or brain trauma, I guess, to, to see one's risk. But yeah, so... What was your question, sorry, regarding like... What is CT? Yeah, what is it? Um, it's essentially a neurodegenerative disease. Like diseases are, like Alzheimer's, for example. Yeah. Um, which can lead to dementia. Um, CTE can. Um, but it's caused or linked, linked very heavily back to repeated trauma of the head. And what does it do in terms of how the body functions or how the brain functions? What's it causing people? Or what mm. is it said? Because obviously it's not diagnosed until after an autopsy has been performed. But yeah. what's it suggested that it presents as? So for anyone who wants to like know a lot more on, or like how some of the, um, or a good movie on like this is actually, you remember that movie came out, Concussion? Yeah. And it was about the, was it NFL? The the football in, uh, in the States. Um, looking at some of these players who, or the autopsies who had committed suicide, um, or even some of the ones who are still alive now but really suffering, you know, poor mental health, like severe mental health problems. Um, so that you know, can can include behavioural problems, mood alterations, um, problems with general thought and cognition and thinking, um, increased risk of suicidal ideation, um, and often, you know just poor response to general things, you know, mm. um, agitation. Unfortunately, many sufferers of this have been involved with, you know, violent crime even, you know, it's really... Um, I did see somewhere, and I can't remember exactly, so I'm not going to reference it mm. specifically, but I read somewhere about, it was somewhere in America, um, this guy got jailed for murder, but he, as a like college athlete, he did American football. Mm. Like, who knows? Like, we're not going to find out. 
Yeah, and and obviously you know you, <laughs> it's a complicated case. Yeah. Um, and you can't obviously make those assumptions. It's being very like, multi- you don't get to go to jail because you had CTE. Well, it's multifactorial, isn't it? Um, but did it contribute to his behaviour? Poor behavioural decisions, impulsivity. Um, who knows, you know. Um, but what's interesting is that this has been known for a long time, uh, or the, the, the general syndrome of chronic traumatic encephalopathy has been, uh, we've seen the symptoms of it for a long time. Mm. And it used to be referred to as, and it still is, like punch drunk syndrome, you know, or boxes, boxes madness and all these kind of terms where, you know, boxers and fighters, and now we see it in the UFC, who have sustained too many knocks to the head, um, really do suffer this impairment of neurological function and uh, delayed cognitive uh, processing and capacity and then just irrationality of thought and behavioural issues later mm. in life. Um, just the effect on mental health mm. in general and like not even relating it to CTE because it doesn't have to be that. Like you went through... A period where it was a little bit rocky after your major concussion in mm-hmm. 2014 so like to relate it back to what you experienced like what type of things did you experience in those ugh, weeks to months to years after that concussion yeah i guess my case in and of itself and and, and one thing that i'm grateful for with like cycling and the sport that i did is that yes i had suffered some bike crashes and some concussions and then the the, de- the really you know severe one as well but I wasn't subject to um, multiple frequent yeah. head injuries, right? So, I mean, post my one, uh, well, generally, so, so some background on that. I was racing what's called a criterium, yeah. um, which is where you race your bike in a, in a big pack around a small, well, it was like a one kilometer circuit. And I had, uh, I wasn't going too well at the time and I was sprinting out of a corner uh, to try and catch back up to the group. So you dropped. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, um, I basically had my head down and rode straight into the back of a dual cab ute. Which shouldn't have been on the track. Yeah, yeah but but that but it was. So, um, and came to a dead stop. And whether I hit it at 35 or 40k an hour, I don't know. But it was from that to a dead stop. And the, what, you know, stopped me was my head. Literally, only. So, I lost consciousness for maybe, you know, like I said, 5-10 minutes. That's what I've heard. Don't remember a lot in the hours after, of course, or anything really. But basically what happens in that instance after that kind of brain injury or trauma to the brain is that you'll have a MRI run to see if you have any brain bleeds that are obvious or swelling. And if there isn't, then it's kind of like, okay, well, your acute risk is like not too bad. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean like acute risk of brain yeah, right. but this was in 2014. It was 2014. So things uh, yeah. have advanced since then. Of course, yes, definitely. But the general, uh, I guess, advice that I got was to rest for three weeks, not do too much, not uh, exert myself mentally and or physically, and then just start to get back into things and I'll be fine, right? Um, but that, of course, definitely wasn't uh, my lived experience, no. to say the least. I remember visiting you and you could barely hold a conversation. I think I spoke to your well, nana before well, more I, than I spoke to you. Well, I still can't hold a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but what did you experience? Because it wasn't even just in that two to three weeks that it affected you. Yeah, so I guess, and, and I like to think now that like I've prob- like put that behind me, that so this is years back, right? This is how many years? What, eight. 2014, so eight years ago. 
so in and it's hard to put an absolute time frame on it i guess in the probably 12 months after i was well remember i was trying to cycle at a high level and what i found then was that generally like my even my aerobic capacity was affected mm -hmm. uh, i wasn't performing well on the bike like i other like i was prior um i started university and basically failed my first year of university and to put context a few years prior to that you graduated from our school as the ducks mm. so like you were a bright cookie like you you weren't one that you would think that would fail out of university especially not the first year yeah and yeah i guess i just generally found memory so like retention of information difficult um learning new things and generally just retaining it like i would kind of understand things go home and then it's like try and apply it and it would be gone mm. so that was really like the main frustration for me mm. um and with that come a lot of um i guess anxiety but then you know you, it's hard not to get depressed when you are not what you were prior yeah if that makes sense you know and you know that and that's difficult to kind of come to terms with but then remember as well it is a like those uh post-concussive symptoms right they they do they do generally um i guess diminish over time and you do kind of recover right but it's definitely a long pro a was a much longer process than i expected hmm. and um, i don't think that is spoken about mm. enough uh, I, I was actually it's I don't know, the universe did it. This morning I was actually flicking through Instagram, not even doing the research, I was procrastinating, mm -hmm. right? And I came across a post by Annette Edmondson, who is a cyclist. Mm -hmm. She is three-time world champion, a three-time Olympic medalist. Um, she's Australian. She posted, and I'm going to quote it, four years since I woke up in hospital with the worst injury of my career a concussion mm. she then goes on to say she was pushed back to racing too early and she couldn't even deal with the radio in her ear so you know how when you're mm. racing they have the radio back to the team cars mm -hmm. and even now so four years later she has moments of anxiety and overwhelm and a quick like i just clicked on the comments a quick scroll through the comments made it very clear like how many people appreciated mm. her saying hey like i actually didn't fully recover from this or i am still dealing with the aftermath of a you know a bike mm. crash that caused a concussion and that can happen at any level like you know we're talking about a three-time world champion it could happen it happened to you who mm. was you know racing mid top australian scene but like it could happen to again old mate down the road who's riding you know 60ks a week like we don't know 100 percent. and i think what's really important in this discussion is drawing attention to the fact that it's a possibility yeah because a lot of people will and this and you talk about it in the like with cyclists in sports generally uh, i even did a video on uh, an afl player who essentially was i think mid-20s ended up retiring mm. because from the concussion symptoms and this guy essentially was saying that you know he was kind of put back on the field too soon um never fully recovered and then suffered a lot in the years down the track and it led to his retirement because he just never got back to where he was before 
but I think that in everyday life, you know, people might have a, a car crash and knock their head without even realizing that it was that bad or fall over or have hit their head at some stage or just had some kind of trauma in everyday life. And they don't necessarily always link because then it's like a year or two or three years down the track. They're like, why do I feel like I feel? Mm. And they don't necessarily link it back to that time when, oh, they slipped on a banana peel in the in the uh, kitchen and hit their head on the sink. Mm. You know what I mean? On the sink. Oh, on the bench. <laughs> right? How'd you get your head in the sink? <laughs> you know, you know the story. So, <laughs> um, but but it's not necessarily always linked back to the event. And you hear it often that people have suffered a, an event mm-hmm. that is obvious and that they're never really the same. Um, but it doesn't always need to be that obvious. And I guess that's the point I'm trying to make here is that, you know, it's so important that we bring attention to this discussion because this can affect anyone mm-hmm. at any stage of their life. And it doesn't necessarily even, it's a huge problem in sport, but it doesn't even necessarily need to be a sporting context. It can be, it can be, um, you know, it could be an, a, a domestic violence yep. context. It could be a motor vehicle accident. It could be a fall. It could be, and then, and even now, we're seeing with like uh, military veterans and the blast impact, uh, not even a direct impact to the head, literally the blast wave impact and the effect that that's having on, um, you know, every time that essentially if it's close enough and whatnot, and I don't, again, I'm not an expert in this field, but um, mild traumatic brain injury every time the blast impact's kind of being received. And, um, you know, that, that can successive concussions and traumatic brain injury is leading to high rates of suicide, high rates of behavioral disturbances and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, it's, it's such a big problem. It's such a big problem. And I think it's great that they are doing research on it and that, Mm. you know, we're starting to talk about it and the media is starting to pick it up and people are becoming a little bit more aware of it and taking it seriously it's no longer just get back on the field you'll be right mate Mm. which is great like the whole sport australia position is if in doubt sit it out yeah and like i can't forget that line i don't think i ever will forget that line is you know if you think a kid or any person has had a concussion sorry mate like you go get medically checked you're not playing Mm -hmm. sidelined but like it's it's like it's actually terrifying how much we still don't know yeah, and I think it's it's a really good thing you mentioned in sports as well. The notion of if in doubt, sit it out. That's problematic when we think about the uh, the determination of many people playing sports, particularly at the highest level. Yeah, you know that the last thing they will, they want to do, even if they're feeling subpar, is to sit something out or to stop a race or to you know. Well, we've got two people here. Did you when you broke your hip? Did mm. you sit that race out <laughs> or did you finish that race with a broken hip? Yeah. Did I tear my the, rotator the cuff yep. in a swimming event and finish and finish it and get to the wall? Like, yeah. do you stop? Well, no, well, I don't know. Like, do no. we have to change the whole... And this is another conversation. Mm. Do we have to change that whole attitude towards sport in general? Not even just concussions, but in terms of like preventing any serious injury mm. and that determination i don't like i don't well, want to open that can of worms <laughs> i think it's a difficult one 
particularly if you look at it. And so like in endurance sports, for example, like running and swimming, concussions are kind of pretty rare because unless you like push yourself to limit and fall over or hit your head on the Hit the, the head wall, on the wall happens right? in but, swimming. But generally not during the event, right? Backstrokers may say otherwise. Mm-hmm. But I think cycling, for example, it's a bit difficult and it's more difficult than something even I would suggest like AFL, whereby well, you can see them you can the whole see, time. You can see the event occurring. Mm. You can see the head hitting the ground often or another body part hitting the head. Yeah. And pull the player off the field because the game goes on. And other players are usually, and I've seen it in the footage, whether they're on your team or another team, other players are usually hand up, yeah. we need help over here. Now in cycling, who's there other than the bunch? Well, well this is this is why I think it's quite a problem in cycling and not even like, yes, from the concussion problem, yeah. but also just from the general health problem because like I've seen, it, you see it on um, in the World Tour, like the, the highest level. Well, the Tour de France um, will be out soon. Yeah, and you see a cyclist will crash at significant speed and you know whether they, if they say for example they hit their head and then they'll get back on the bike straight away and then you see them literally like swerving over the road sometimes they're not of course it's not um you know, it doesn't happen that frequently but it does happen more often than it should yeah. or they get back on the bike and then they're later that night or later that day you know like they should have gone to hospital as soon as they had the crash but even even from the context of um, having crashes, I've seen bike riders going over the handlebars, hitting or landing on their backs, and then getting back on their bike. And or even the spinal cord injuries from, for example, like a fractured vertebrae, which hasn't fully fractured, and then you keep riding, and then it fractures while you're riding. Now you're paraplegic or you're quadriplegic, right? So mm. some uh, it's very difficult because how do you stop a rider getting back on the bike when there's no one there to say stop? But you know, I think that in and this goes across the board for all sports. I think that in the next 10, 5, 10, 20, and then even 30, 40 years' time, it's going to be a very different game with regards to athlete safety, concussion, and then even general injuries as well. And I think that the threshold at which we pull players off the field or stop them from competing will be a lot a lot lower mm. in terms of you know, trying to look out for their safety. And that's what we've seen already, like sports in Australia specifically have, and overseas, but they have put out position statements and Mm. they now have tools or guidelines and they're a lot stricter on it, which is incredible. And like one thing I mentioned a little bit earlier in terms of Danny Frawley, who was the AFL player who Mm. had the car crash, his brain actually got donated to the Australian Sports Brain Bank which was actually like it was started in 2018 and their mission is to understand chronic traumatic and it's my favorite word encephalopathy <laughs> how's it go can you just say it i can't even uh, uh, it's, I, CTE, it, sometimes said i can it, say it. CTE. cte encephalopathy and other brain pathology which is associated with repetitive head injury in sport or elsewhere mm-hmm. 2018 4 years that's how new that research is and it requires sports people or other people to donate their brains after death yeah to them for that research and that like just you know we're almost someone's lifetime 
away like it maybe it's a 50 year thing mm. there's not enough research and like at this stage the research about this can only be done after death mm. and they need to understand that i guess like history of medicine they only understood the biomechanics of the body until people died and they cut them up mm. and then they understood more and more and more and then they've now developed technology to do it while they're alive without doing harm so like we're, we're not up to that point to do those tests just yet and see you know or diagnose it whilst people are still alive and like it just goes to show like we're, we're looking into it we're researching it but it's still something that you need to be aware of mm. and you know understand the well, long-term impacts well and on that note one of the more worrying things about a condition like chronic traumatic encephalopathy, CTE, is that, yes, it can't necessarily be confirmed as a diagnosis until... After death. After death, on autopsy. We can make a prediction as to whether someone's suffering cognitive impairment prior to, of course, them passing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But one of the most concerning things about this condition... And there's a lot of research, of course, in the realm of therapeutics for repairing neuronal health and connections and a whole different range of different, you know, uh, interventions to improve brain function. Yep. But there is no treatment for this. Yeah. Right. So it's, you know, beyond potentially and even then the therapeutics are much, I guess, what they, the goal of them is to slow the progression. Much like some Alzheimer's. of the Alzheimer's things, yeah. you, you know, once you've had this um, CTE and the brain is atrophying, it really is a uh, basically what we find is it's like a it's a downward spiral. So is that the same with white matter? Well, there's white and grey matter in the brain. Um, in what context? Is that like a precursor to CTE, or do, are they just not sure yet? Well, the white and grey matter in the brain are basically just uh, comprising of the like the different areas, mm. um, whereby you have in the grey matter you have a whole bunch of more um, cell bodies, and then in the the white matter is more of the axons of the actual nerves. So okay. this is getting into the physiology of it, and you have white and grey matter all through the spinal cord as well. But it's basically just like the white and grey matter; it just comprises the brain, for lack of better explanation. Okay. Um, and it's the I would assume it would be both that would actually um, impact be atrophying or shrinking or regressing in size. Um, but I, I guess, yeah, you know, most of the, the, the lobes themselves are comprised of the white matter in the brain. So, yes, that's probably what they're measuring. Um, but again, like I'll, I need to plead ignorance here because I'm not an expert in the field. No, no, you, you know? just understand a little um, bit more than the everyday person yeah. or you can relate it into everyday language which is why we like you <laughs> we've talked a little bit about cte and mental health but that's not all that happens like in terms of the neuron shooting and stuff <laughs> that's, Go on. Go that's on. scientific yeah can you take us through like mm. is there hormonal disturbances like obviously you've got a lot of yeah, the brain controls everything. So if we knock it around a bit, 
what else happens in the body? Hmm. So I think an important thing to realize with a lot of this stuff is that, particularly with the CTE as well, all of the potential implications that can arise from traumatic brain injury and concussion aren't guaranteed to happen, mm-hmm. right? So it's, well, it's concussion like... and traumatic brain injury are risk factors for these things yes. later in life, particularly. But one thing that's very interesting and we haven't touched on it at all are the kind of endocrinological or hormonal disturbances, which can result as a consequence of either any of the traumatic brain injuries, mild, severe, or even moderate. Um, but even just mild and even concussion and particularly repetitive concussion. And this is not like the second impact syndrome we talked about earlier, but concussion. Um, and then, you know, years later, another one, another one, another one, but really any kind of concussion. One thing that's important to consider with any brain injury is the impact that it may have on the endocrine system. Can you take us in layman's terms? take us through some of those impacts because Mm. like, yes, obviously you have to use science words, but use the science words and then tell us what that actually means. So, okay. So I think it's important to consider how a head injury firstly can impact the rest of the body hormonally. Yep. The reason being is that basically the, what you'd call the master control of all your body's hormones or most of them, a lot of them is the pituitary gland. And that's controlled by the hypothalamus. So it's the hypothalamic pituitary function, which, which then input, which sends essentially um, signaling hormones to every other endocrine gland in the body generally uh, to produce hormones. And so, is your hypothalamus <laughs> is your hypothalamus in your brain? In. Your hypothalamus. Is that a part of your brain? What's it called? Hypothalamus. So the hypothalamus, yeah. So essentially the hypothalamus, it's it's called the hypothalamus because it's below the thalamus. We don't really need to get into the anatomy of it all. It's your brain. It's part of your brain. Yeah. And it's a little bit more anteriorly. It's actually, um, uh, and the hypothalamus connects to the pituitary, which sits in the uh, pituitary fossa. And this is essentially like when they, you have a pituitary adenoma which is a mass growth on the pituitary don't look at me like that <laughs> i said not too sciencey um okay so if you have a a hypothalamus is part of your brain and it you knock it so the hypothalamus is connected to the pituitary yep by what's called the infundibulum mm-hmm. which is really thin which is yeah it's uh, it's like this fragile kind of stalk basically yep. right that connects the two this can become disrupted with brain injury any kind of head trauma can disrupt the connection between the hypothalamus and the pituitary because it's so thin yeah essentially we have two parts of the pituitary which can be impacted the anterior and the posterior mm-hmm. um the anterior is generally more impacted uh, i guess mostly with respect to repetitive concussion even just singular concussion or traumatic brain injury um and there's a few really important hormones that are produced there and you've probably heard of most of them growth hormone yes um, what's called our gonadotropic, gonadotropic hormones, which are luteinizing hormone, follicle stimulating hormone. So in males, they go towards producing testosterone and sperm. Mm-hmm. In females, it's estrogen and ovulation, mm-hmm. progesterone as well. Yeah. 
So they're your, they're your reproductive hormones, essentially. Those two, like yeah. if you think about they, it. They send the, they're, they're the signal yeah. for the body to produce the reproductive hormones, cool. sex steroids. Yeah. Yeah. Thyroid stimulating hormone, or TSH, mm-hmm. which stimulates the thyroid to produce thyroid hormones. Yeah. Prolactin, which can increase during times of stress. It's not necessarily all that favorable of a hormone, but it, it, of course it's there for a reason. Um, it can be problematic for some people though. Um, it's involved in breastfeeding as well mm-hmm. for females. Um, and they're probably the main ones. We also, oh, also a hormone called ACTH, which sends signals, adrenal cortotropic releasing hormone, sends signals to your or adrenal cortotropic hormone, sends signals to your adrenal glands mm-hmm. um, to basically produce cortisol as okay. well as um, your mineral corticoids, which are, um, oh, what's the main one? Aldosterone. So, so, so basically, long story short, that's involved in like fluid retention and salt retention. So you don't basically just dehydrate. Yeah. It regulates blood pressure and stuff like that as well. But also cortisol is the main stress hormone. Yes. So a knock to your head damages the, the fragile stalk between your hypothalamus Hypothalamus your hypoth- yep. and your pituitary. Yep, <laughs> we'll go with that thing. Yep, and then that list of hormones are controlled by that. Mm-hmm. So, how does that then impact the body? Okay. One more thing before we get into that. No, it, it just I'll <laughs> keep it short. There's also the posterior pituitary as well, and this is responsible for vasopressin production. Yep. Or antidiuretic hormone. Yep. Also oxytocin, but that- happiness hormone. Love hormone. Yeah. Yes. yes. Uh, you release that when you have a baby. Uh, you, you do as well. It's involved in um, milk letdown with breastfeeding. Um, and also, yeah, forming those intimate bonds. So th- there's a lot to oxytocin. But, but vasopressin or antidiuretic hormone, this can become deficient with brain injury as well. And if that happens, that's an acute emergency. Because if you have a deficiency in that, you get what's called diabetes insipidus. Say it again really slow. Vasopressin or antidiuretic hormone. Antidiuretic hormone means you lose water. Means you it prevents your body from losing water. Okay, and it gives you what so, syndrome? So you can develop what's called diabetes insipidus, not diabetes mellitus, which is the blood sugar thing. Yeah. Right. Uh, this is essentially where you have a deficiency of antidiuretic hormone ADH. Uh huh. And it's a medical emergency. Um, uh, it can be because you'll not be able to hold on to water, essentially. And how soon after a knock to the head could this present? Um, Obviously, with very, this not medical advice. Very, very, very acutely. So it's typically that happens sooner rather than years yep. later. That's yes. more acute. Yep. Another acute emergency would be a deficiency in adrenocorticotropic hormone, ACTH. Yep. Because cortisol deficiency can kill you. Mm-hmm. Right? Blood pressure, because it affects your blood, blood pressure. Blood pressure, as well as holding onto water yep. and all that kind of stuff. Um, so what's very interesting, though, and so those are acute medical emergencies yes. in the context of a brain injury. Yes. One thing that's very important and not a lot of people uh, realize is that any kind of impact to the head or concussion, even if it's mild, can cause long-term dysfunction of what we've just mentioned. How? So the most common, and and it's very interesting because it kind of presents as like 
generally it's like growth hormone becomes deficient mostly mm -hmm. or more commonly. And then the sex steroid precursors or gonadotropins. And then I think it's TSH thereafter and then ACTH. So it's a domino effect. So it's kind of like that's the most common. And obviously th this would vary. Like it, you could have different variations of deficiencies, but that's the most common. Um, so generally how this works is that um, you can have acute damage to the hypothalamic pituitary stalk or the infundibulum or the connection yep. and dysfunction. And then you develop what's called hypopituitaryism, hypopituitism, uh, along those lines, where essentially your pituitary gland becomes hypofunctioning. Hypo meaning less? Uh, yeah, inadequately yep. functioning, right? And it will actually, which can be seen on like an MRI, like can even shrink in size, but it doesn't need to. For, for you to for you properly. to develop yeah for you to develop particular deficiencies so and all this has come from the knock of a head or a concussion and it's disturbed the stalk between them effectively yeah wow yeah um one thing that's really important and that's a lot you know there's a lot of research coming out about this is that Deficiencies in pituitary hormones can occur acutely, mm -hmm. so as a direct cause. They can also occur um, later down the track at, as a result of the traumatic brain injury. But what we find or what they're finding is that the brain injury can kind of predispose someone to accelerated. So like when you age, mm -hmm. these can become deficient, particularly like growth hormone um testosterone estrogen like men well it's different in women because it's menopause so it happens naturally without any knock to the brain as you age these hormones become less and less predominant in the body or the production reduces uh generally yeah yeah a traumatic brain injury or concussion can accelerate that process so it declines faster so you can have someone and let's take a practical example you can have someone who's 20 years old yep who suffers a concussion on the sport field and then they're having the symptoms of concussive you know, is issues or concussion syndrome. And then five years later, they have very poor uh, energy, mm -hmm. vitality, even libido or functioning. So low functioning. testosterone. So they could have, it could be a growth hormone deficiency as yeah. well or testosterone deficiency. And that can also manifest as early onset osteoporosis because yeah. testosterone converts to estrogen it's and that's very protective yeah and estrogen as well is very neuroprotective as well so if you have low testosterone as a male you're going to have reduced estrogen generally um and that is very protective in the brain so therefore that can accelerate a lot of the neurological issues in females of course that's going to be more direct yeah uh, but you would you'd see it more obvious because it would be like uh, amenorrhea or loss of menses or menstruation Periods. Your periods would basically stop, right? Because of the low estrogen. Uh, well, they, well, they can because because of the low pituitary hormones yeah. causing low estrogen, okay. right? And causing a dysfunction to the ovulation cycle or, or absence of ovulation. So I guess to summarize, the main things to be aware of here are that any brain injury can cause this, whether it's loss of consciousness or not. The actual severity 
it's more common with increasing severity, but doesn't necessarily have to be all that severe to happen. It can occur acutely and then recover. So you can develop growth hormone deficiency, testosterone deficiency, and then recover. Mm-hmm. Or it can also um, recover, but then kind of relapse as well or, or predispose one to accelerate the decline of those hormones at an earlier age. And that's very important to consider. Or just even be aware of, and <clears throat> I know you yourself and like, I guess me to an extent, um, are very about preventative mm-hmm. healthcare and, you know, taking your own ugh, health in your own hands. I guess like advocating for your own health. So as any person, like we can talk in the context of an athlete or in the context of, you know, random person, how, how would you even know if these things have dropped? Uh, and this is where it's difficult. So if you have very severe dysfunction of your pituitary, whereby you have deficiencies across the board, it will be obvious because you would be essentially, uh, dis- like you wouldn't be able to function properly. You're not yourself. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and you would have acute, you know, you'd become therefore like hypothyroid. You'd also got yellow cortisol, all this stuff, right? But take, for example, growth hormone deficiency. In out, if you if you develop that as a child, you would you would fail to grow. Okay. Right? So stunted growth. And this is like even dwarfism is a so there's different kinds. It can either be growth hormone deficiency or a uh, mutation of the growth hormone receptor, whereby the growth hormone doesn't actually work, mm. even though it's being produced. Mm. So there's different kinds of like dwarfism or small small stature. But um, in adulthood where growth hormone isn't necessarily needed to grow taller vertically, um, but does, in fact, keep a lot of the um, functions in the body, I guess, optimized in terms of um, memory, cognitive function, um, recovery from exercise. But the symptoms are very vague. So if you have a growth hormone deficiency, you might just feel a reduced quality of life, Mm. but not necessarily be able to pinpoint... What it is. Exactly what it is. A testosterone deficiency in males or estrogen uh, amenorrhea in females a bit more obvious for males again it's a bit more vague um and it may not necessarily occur as like a flat-out deficiency but you may have had like a a drop in your hormone levels to maybe for example half of what you previously were and that can be sexual dysfunction but it may not be it may be even depression anxiety um problems with cognition that link to the mental health that we were talking about, could that contribute to, it's not just Mm. what happens to the brain, could that contribute to the mental health that we were talking about earlier? 100%. So, and this is where, obviously there's a lot of research into the field of traumatic brain injury, but this is where um, there is kind of two things mainly, or like in my eyes, there are like two big issues. One is the neuron, the neuronal or the actual damage to the brain mm-hmm. caused by the direct injury or the after effects or the concussion itself. Yeah. And long-term encephalopathy, right? <laughs> There's also the potential for hypothalamic pituitary dysfunction. Yeah. Which can create systemic endocrine dysfunction. Whether they interrelate, I'm sure they would be, interrelation, right? 
but they're generally two kind of different pathologies. We know though that correcting, for example, a deficiency in pituitary hormones can improve brain function Mm. because of estrogen, because of thyroid hormone, because of growth hormone, and then the uh, positive impacts they have on the brain. So, So it's definitely how much of, you know, what's interesting when they do the autopsies, yeah, there's the encephalopathy. But was there, you know, what would have been interesting as well, was there actually systemic hormone deficiency? Do they, they don't run a full blood examination. So they can. Do they? But they wouldn't always do that on autopsy. Yeah. Uh, unless indicated. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, like, obviously there are different angles and different, like, um, interactions and pathologies. But what fascinates me and what really draws me to the whole... Um, realm or topic of brain injury is that you can have a knock to the head and that can subsequently cause systemic deficiency in particular things which you know is really incredible in my eyes because it's like all controlled by the hypothalamus and pituitary well you say incredible i say terrifying (laughs) terrifying oh of course terrifying but it just shows that you know it's not it's multifactorial there's the neuronal damage, but then there's also potential for systemic dysfunction. Hmm. Um, obviously, again, like uh, I'm not an expert in the field. Um, Yet. Well, <laughs> I think you know people have done years and years of research here, so they can talk uh, very confidently on it. Um, but yeah, it's definitely it's intriguing, and I think that what like if you take anything away from the actual relevance of it to the everyday person or the sporting person is that if you've had a concussion and don't get in your head about, oh, this is going to absolutely happen because then you can manifest it, right? But if you've had a concussion, remember, even if you recover from the acute period after the concussion, if you are feeling strange or not yourself or... Um, reduced quality of life where you're not exactly you know where you were in the years after and it could be five years or or longer after it would be in your interest to at least go and get a full endocrine endocrine workup like your blood work and 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 everything else in your blood as well or neurological assessment too but but do test all the endocrine hormones and test the pituitary hormones and the affecting pituitary or um sorry endocrine glands so like TSH and then all your thyroid hormones, um, luteinizing hormone, follicle stimulating, and then all your sex steroids, because these deficiencies can occur after the fact. Yeah. Um, and a lot of even um, PTSD with like war veterans has been found, you know, they've, they've, they've used, uh, for example, and they've found it's like a chronic issue with the, with the blast impacts, testosterone deficiency in war veterans and replacing those merely just replacing them to physiological levels whether it's growth hormone as well testosterone optimizing all those hormones can even literally reverse ptsd when other psychotherapies and drugs haven't worked Mm. and i think that's why i guess we're having this conversation is not to give medical advice but it's more so to say like if you have had a concussion or a knock to the head and you're still not yourself, mm-hmm. 
then go like go see a doctor like go and take it further because you don't have to be out there suffering if Mm. if we can you know find the the drops in the hormones or the issues there 100 percent. and this is why um we talked about the protocols with you know return to sports and all that kind of stuff that definitely looks at the acute period yeah we've talked about encephalopathy which is like a long-term implication can you do much about it we don't know there's a lot of research going on in the field what you can do though is very easily with the help of a physician of course check all your hormones and this is why i actually advocate for anyone who's you know 18 19 20 regardless or if you've just never done it in your 30s 40s whenever if you're healthy it's still it's still in your interest and even if you have to you know do it privately and and pay out of pocket to get a full um blood workup done and this could be anything like everything basically full blood count Mm. liver function kidney function all this kind of stuff cholesterol um iron studies but get all your hormones done too and the pituitary hormones because remember you your body becomes used to a set um production of hormones and that becomes your normal if you then have a brain injury or a concussion and then even if you have slight alterations or you have you know one of like say for example your growth hormone really drops down or your testosterone really drops down that can be quite impactful for your mental health and and physical well-being as well Mm. but more so mentally so um but it's very hard to always pinpoint particular changes if you've never had a baseline yeah so this is why i always advocate for everyone everyone doing sports regardless if you're healthy as that's probably the best time to do it because then you can compare if for example something happens down the track yeah you're like well at this age i was healthy i was well Mm. this is where all my levels were at and then something happened whether it's a head injury or not like it could Mm. be anything at least then you've got that baseline 100 percent. yeah it's like it's kind of like baseline fitness testing 100 they do that pre-season do it and do it while you're healthy yeah so that you know that's where you naturally are yeah um and everything, even all your minerals, iron, um, magnesium, like, 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 yeah, different, different minerals and all that kind of stuff. Um, vitamin D, very important. All this kind of stuff is so important to know because it, you can monitor trends and assess changes. Um, because for you, those changes could be substantial. Mm. Um, and it's not necessarily even, am I out of range? Am I in range? It could just be, or for me, I've had a halving of this hormone and that's significant. Mm. Even if you're still at the bottom end of a reference range or something like that. But yeah, it's definitely with the traumatic brain injury and concussion, the endocrine dysfunction that can result because of that hypothalamus pituitary is, um, can have huge impacts on someone's life and merely just replacing those hormones, which is like, once you've identified the cause, not all that much of a, uh, you know, a, a drama to do yeah. um, can literally change people's lives. Um, and I would suggest, or I would at least think that at least some of the chronic encephalopathy um, might be influenced by some of these hormonal deficiencies. Because remember, a lot of these uh, hormones cross the blood-brain barrier mm, and they have very potent effects in the brain. Before. Yeah. Interesting. So to summarize, because we've been chatting for Mm -hmm. a while, no matter how big the knock to the head, 
whether you lose consciousness or you don't lose consciousness, you may still have a concussion, which is Mm -hmm. a form of traumatic brain injury. If in doubt, sit them out, seek medical attention. Yeah? Mm -hmm. There are resources out there, which, you know, there'll be a link to the Sport Australia um, document, which I was referring to before, which has a link to the SCAT 5. And I say SCAT 5, I've got a textbook over there um, and it actually had the SCAT 2. So, like, Mm. at time of recording, this is the most up-to-date information. Yep. Always stay up-to-date with the information is another thing. Um, Things are changing. I think I saw a policy for 2024. Things were going to change, as in they're going to review something. There's a study. Um, There's a great app, which the MCRI and the AFL have worked together to develop, which is HeadCheck. Um, I think that's, you know, little things like using the technology to even just be more aware with it. Like it might not be clinically the you know, the best assessment. If But if you don't have a doctor out there, sit them out and use the head check app and go seek medical attention when you can. Mm-hmm. And then the Australian Sports Brain Bank, which you can even, like, athletes or people can pledge their brains mm. to conduct this research because we don't know everything about it. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And, like, that's the thing. Like, it's becoming a not a big deal like it's always been a big deal but it's becoming something that we're talking about and we're becoming aware of and therefore we need to research it so we we know more yeah 100 percent. you know the the general keiko message like we just said is or like you have said and i just mentioned is that um we've always known brain injuries are a very big deal but we're really understanding how much of a big deal any kind of brain knock is and that's really important any parents who have their kids competing in contact sports or even non-contact sports yeah like cycling's um, not a contact sport be aware you know if your kid does have a concussion make sure you follow up make sure you you watch them mm. their behavior is it changing or and don't get paranoid about it but it, just be be aware that you know things can occur and things can occur later on even when you feel like you may have fully recovered so that's uh, definitely something to keep in mind. And I think that obviously as we understand more about this stuff, it'll become increasingly mainstream in terms of You'll be able to find the, the information easier. Well, you can find the information, but it's it's still, you know, coming. It's still, obviously, it yeah. will forever be a, a developing field. Yeah. At least for our lifetimes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think we probably know, you know, we don't know a lot about the brain. No. Yeah, 100%. Um, so yeah. Wow! Well, thank I, you. We did it. Thanks, Faye. <laughs> yeah. No, I think um, yeah. Hopefully, there was some information that uh, at least some people could take away and apply to whether it's themselves or other people they know, or even just to be have more awareness. I think it's really important. I think just the general um, awareness of it. Yeah. Um, uh, not not ever rushing back to you know, and, and as well, if you have had a concussion, be gentle on yourself. Don't rush back to um, sports or pushing yourself too hard too quickly um, because you can just kind of do more damage in the process. Make sure you're taking the right steps with your recovery. Make sure you're giving yourself plenty of time. It's not something that can be forced. It's like a broken leg. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Yep. Mm. Well, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, yeah. Thanks, Faye. I've enjoyed it. Thanks. And uh, I'm sure we'll, um, we'll do another one soon on whatever topic.
you anything's yeah important. let us know if you like it this is a it's a very different thing for beyond sport yeah thanks for tuning in guys Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. This is a completely independent podcast that has been created to share the journey and lessons of top-level sporting professionals, but also your everyday lover of sport. If you liked this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you could leave a review and share it with someone who you think would also enjoy it. Until next time.